Hey guys, gals, and gamers, welcome back to uh, Talking About Games. Today we're going to be talking about stories. My name's Jaden. And I am Adam. And uh, welcome back. Yeah, so let's kind of get just jump straight into it and first kind of give a little bit of context about what we think a story's role in a game should be, kind of how it should be made, and just overall what a story is in a game. So, uh, I'll kind of take the lead on the first little bit here. Right, right. So, um, in order for a game story to be good, the game should be made around the story, not the story around the game. This is not to say that the game will be bad if it takes either route. This is simply speaking to how this, the quality of the story, not the game itself. If the game's goal is to have a really good story, then, then yeah, then that'll kind of speak to the quality of the game. But if it isn't, then that's fine too. So, for example, if um, if a story was were to be made around a game instead, you'd probably end up something with something that's very shallow and just kind of feels disjointed, it doesn't flow well, and it'll just kind of not feel very impactful or memorable. What do you think about this? I really agree, actually, because if you have a very dramatic game where you're focusing on, say, choices and things like that, something like heavy rain or Detroit become human you don't want to throw in something super action-paced like say a huge gunfight that's not gonna make a lot of sense right because you wanted that gunfight in there you can't fit that in because of the style of the story right yeah so yeah you, but you, you gotta you gotta you can probably lead up to it in writing the story if you really needed to but you, but then again that's part of the story that's not something you're just throwing into the game Exactly, and that kind of leads into uh, what I was going to bring up next, which is that uh, a game story should kind of be the main focus of the game, or at least it can be for like the more story-driven games, or it can be simply there to give the player's actions and goals some context. So some examples of this would be uh, for the game story being the main focus of the game. Uh, it could be something like Yakuza, like one of my favorite games, one of my game favorite game series, that is. Whereas uh, in a game like Majora's Mask... Uh, you'll kind of just be kind of running around uh, just doing stuff while the story's in the background to give you context and not really be constantly giving you developments on the characters or the plot or the situation. While in a game like Yakuza, that is your driving force. You're going because you want to see the developments. You want to see how the characters grow. You want to see how the situation escalates. So neither one of these ways is bad or better than the other. It's just simply which one will kind of serve the games better. So, what do you, what do you gotta think about this? Uh, I actually completely agree. Uh, like you could even look at games like on completely two dramatic sides of it, like like I already mentioned, Detroit Become Human or Heavy Rain. You play through those games, going along with the story. You aren't you aren't blindly following these actions that the story or that the game is telling. Like this game is telling you a story, right? You aren't just going along with that in Detroit Become Human and Heavy Rain you are like 100% in that story at all times. You are interacting with literally everything. Every action you do is is actually done by you. You want to pick up that book, you have to do the proper action with the controller to pick it up. And honestly, I love that. Or then you go on to the other extreme. Look at, say, Mario Brothers, the 2D platformers. You have... Uh, you have one goal, you gotta save Princess Peach, right? You go left to right on every stage. 
Sometimes you got vertical and all that, but all, all you really know is you're going to save Princess Peach and you're going to have fun along the way. It's either or works very, very well, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a game doesn't have to have a super complex story to be good. It's just simply which one fits it better. Yeah, if Mario had an epic story, like in something like Persona, like that level of scale, then that would feel very out of place because it's Mario. Yeah, it's exactly. it's no more complicated than just Peach has been kidnapped. Go get her. There you go. <laughs> but then, but then you could also consider things like the RPGs, right? Yeah. Mario RPGs, where they do give it some some blood and some life and some story. Oh yeah, I was just more so talking about like the 2D Marios. Yeah, that's or, like, fair. The, but... Just the platformers. Yeah, but you, that just kind of getting the idea out there that Mario can have a an in-depth story. Oh yeah, and uh, sort of um, with a thousand-year door, like the paper, the Paper Mario series. Like I remember before we actually started recording, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about those and how they actually have a surprisingly good story, and very few people would actually kind of expect. Mario to have some pretty solid story elements and like a good story in any of his games really considering how most of what the mainstream sees is just like the platformers and the and the jumping and the whatnot. So yeah, exactly. you want to kind of talk about that? Kind of Yeah. Yeah, sure. So when you when you look at these pa the Paper Mario stories, at least the first 3 games, uh the first game follows a more traditional Mario style, you know, he's fighting Bowser and he's got to save Princess Peach. But they add along this whole story and add some lore to the Mushroom Kingdom, which I really love. Uh, you go through and you're rescuing these star sprites, and fun fact, they actually return later in one of the Mario Party games. But uh, yeah, no, you go through this huge story and you meet characters and partners and everyone has this amazing development and you get to see all these new areas of the Mushroom Kingdom and it's amazing. And then you go into Thousand Year Door and they completely built on this and made it so much better. And you suddenly find yourself in a new a new place, a new country or continent or whatever. And uh, it's called Rogueport, and you do... It's a very similar storyline, but it, it gets so, so dramatic and so amazing because you meet all these new partners and you go across this whole new world and you start to realize that the entire world itself is in danger. And I don't want to spoil it all, but Mario, like gets on this whole new level with this game and it's so so amazing and all the chapters are so unique and i just love them i love this game but then you go into super paper mario which changes it up it takes a lot of the rpg aspects out hmm. but you it's still actually have... my favorite paper mario <laughs> well yeah no i'm not saying it's bad by any means i'm just saying it's ta it's taken a lot of those yeah. aspects out like it took out the separate battle screen right you don't you, you it's, it takes on a more traditional platformer style where you're, if you jump on an enemy it dies and uh it, it it takes it it tries to take it one step further with uh by adding like dimensions and other worlds and places you can go rather than just one set area and instead of collecting stars you collect these things called pure hearts and instead of partners you have these pixels but they all have their own personalities and they all they all grow with you on this journey, uh, especially the main, uh, the main pixel TP. And it's just, yeah, no, they, yeah. they all have this dramatic storyline that goes from point A to point B throughout the whole thing. And you just, you're so invested in this story. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. Another thing I really liked, uh, about the, well, Super Paper Mario is that it actually kind of 
did focus more on the story than most other Paper Marios, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And that and that was a lot of its criticism is that Paper Mario was known for like really cool, fast paced, like really solid uh, RPG gameplay. But I don't know. I like the I like the story more than I liked the gameplay for really any Paper Mario. I can't, I'm more yeah, of a story guy when it comes to my games, like or at least single player games. I like a good story. So that's kind of why it's my favorite. And it, one thing I think it did really well was, or just Paper Mario in general does really well, is pacing. Yes. The pacing of, of pretty much every game ha- is very solid. I haven't really played much of the first one, but I've uh, beaten both Thousand Year Door and Super Paper Mario. Yeah. And oof. Especially Super Paper Mario. I really like how it gets... It, it's it's a good slow escalation to the point where you're going to hell, or basically hell, uh, and heaven and... <laughs> yeah. You have all of these other characters like Peach, Luigi, and Bowser. They all have their own personalities and they're with you. And you slowly build up uh, your cast of characters and the situation of the story through really good pacing. And pacing is extremely important for having a good story. Uh, which is also why I really like Yakuza. Like, I'm going to keep going back to this because it's one of my favorites. And <laughs> just because I want to. And... Uh, it does it. It does pacing really well. Uh, there's something pretty much always happening in every game you play, but it doesn't feel like okay, you're gonna get burnt out on all this cool action or all these dramatic moments. It has its downtime in between, but it, that doesn't hurt it. It's there just so that it's sort of like the dip before the high, and it is so incredible. And it does it since since Yakuza is a big series of games. It's a, it's really cool because it does the does stories on an individual like game scale where you can just play one and you can have a full story and be happy. Like I started with uh, Yakuza 0 and I could have just ended it there. I could have just enjoyed it and been like, that was a good story, done. But uh, since I've played more of the series, you kind of see that if you want to keep playing, it expands beyond just one game. It's a bigger story. It's the story of a man of someone's life and it's really interesting how they do the pacing on both a game scale and just an overall series scale and i really like that yeah that sounds pretty awesome i haven't i've I've, I've played about a few minutes of the original one uh it came for free with my ps plus account but uh i don't know i'm gonna oh, have to the, give it the more of a shot i think uh do you mean the remake for on ps plus yeah, yeah, it was a it was a free download, and it was it was the original game, but it was a remake. Oh, okay, yeah, I yeah. finished that one recently. That is, I found that the combat was a little bit clunky for my liking, but if but the way you're raving about this, I might have to give it a better shot. The combat gets way better. It okay. gets way better. It's very solid. Uh, but I can, if we do an episode more so based around like combat systems, then I'll rant about it. Then I won't I won't have it cut into our time here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so uh, I think I think with that we can kind of move on to our next topic, which is the the tone of various stories and games, and kind of how the tone can complement a game story if done well. So, uh, kind of, what do you what do you have to say about that? Well, it really depends on the game you're looking at. If you pick up something like Heavy Rain, you have a very depressing tone of story, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll give a bit of the intro here just to give some kind of context to what I'm talking about but so you start off this game you're, you're a dad and you're helping set up your kids birthday party right and it's a super fun you get an idea of the controls you're moving around the house you're grabbing party stuff you're helping your wife prep 
you're going out and you're playing with the kids to keep them a little occupied. And it's, it's pretty fun. You get a little bit of quick time. You get a little bit of an idea of what it's like to interact with objects kind of like you would in the real world. And then you go to the mall and it's super busy and you lose your kid and he gets hit by a car. And, well, he, of course, doesn't make it. Uh, you, you who tried to protect him, ended up going into a coma because you also got hit by the car. And then, you know, there's like a divorce and everything. And it just gets super depressing from there. But that's this constant theme. His, he's, uh, he's struggling with this depression. And then his other son gets kidnapped, right? And he has to go through this whole journey to, like, get his son back so he doesn't lose his other son. And it's, uh... It's just a very depressing tone that sticks throughout, and that's something that's very important to a story, is consistent tone, or transitional tone. You can't just jump back and forth, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so many games uh, need to keep consistent tones in order to have a, well, a coherent story, otherwise it kind of feels a bit jarring. Um, but that is the case most of the time. Uh, again, I'm going to bring up Yakuza, because it does a lot well with its story. Yeah. It has basically two tones that clash heavily. They're, they're very contrasting tones. It can be really silly and comedic at times, or it can be extremely serious. And normally in any other game, that would be kind of weird, and it would just make the, the story feel very disjointed, having two completely clashing tones between like lighthearted comedy and like dramatic and serious depressing matters, just one after another. It would just not work. But somehow they make it work in Yakuza. I don't know. They got some genius writers there. <laughs> yeah. For example, uh, in the second game, you encounter a bunch of uh, sort of guys that uh, fetishize being treated as babies, like the like you know that weird thing where it's like man babies, <laughs> yeah. and and it's and it's treated very silly because they like start you have to like fight them because they get pissed at you for whatever reason, and then you have to actually like start actively fighting them and you're just fighting grown men in diapers and what's basically a giant cradle it's really silly and fun and you'll just be laughing the whole time oh but God. then there are other times where you like in the in uh yakuza zero there's this one really dramatic scene that i will not spoil because then that's no i'm not going to spoil it it's really really sad like it had me tearing up and it's not even at the end of the game it's like halfway through and it is just so dramatic it it just does so much right with its two clashing tones. It kind of uses them to raise each other up, you know, mm -hmm. on a like a with more impact. Because when it, when things are happy, because you genuinely care about the characters, you're happy for them that they're going through these actually enjoyable times, and you really feel for them in the sort of more down and depressing uh, side of things, and. That's also another really aspect, uh, or important aspect of game, or a story in games, Jeez, I need to speak properly, uh, is characters. You need to have, a game needs to have really good characters in order for the story to actually matter. Now, there, are, there can be a few exceptions to this, but for <laughs> what I've seen, you have to have good characters and you, they have, you have to care about them. Whether that be you really want them to have good things happen to them, like you like them a lot, or if you really, really hate them with like a good villain, you'll hate them. So it's important to have solid characters that feel real in order to have a good story. And it's it's just an integral part of the story, is what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah, and that's nice. Yeah, so what do you kind of like 
You got any games that have a, a good example of some really solid characters? Uh, going right back to Paper Mario, actually. All of the partners. Specifically, I would say Thousand Year Door. Because they they took this partner system from the original game and expanded on it. So you start out with uh, with your traditional Goomba partner from the first game, but it's a new character. And she... Uh, she has this tattle ability, and she's she's kind of like sort of a tomboyish character as you start because in Rogue Port it's really tough and it's rough around, and you got, sometimes you got to fight for what you want, or sometimes everyone's a little gritty, and there's like thieves going around and all this stuff, right? And uh, by the end of the game, she actually spoilers, I guess, but it's an older game, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. But once you beat the game, you learn that she uh, she kind of has a crush on Mario. So she's gone from this, she's gone through this character development where she's gone from this very tomboyish figure to more of a girly figure, right? And she's, uh, she even has this one move you unlock later on called Rally Wink, where she walks up to Mario, gives a little wink, and it looks kind of like Mario gets a little kiss on the cheek too, right? Like, she, she starts out being like, this sort of like, she doesn't really care about Mario. She's like, oh my god, like, come here, protect me from this guy, right? And it's more of, like, Mario is just bigger and stronger than her, so she's, like, you know, looking out for herself in that case. But later she starts to develop a relationship with Mario and start to, like, because she spends the most amount of time with him on this journey. And it's just kind of, like, throughout she has this character development. And this happens to every single partner. Uh, I'll give you the second partner as well, but then I'm going to leave the rest... Uh, for you guys to figure out but the second character is this cowardly koopa and he decides that he wants to go on this journey with mario in order to prove to himself and to his girlfriend that he is very he's capable right like he can he can do all these amazing things and throughout this journey he builds up his confidence and eventually decides to become the mayor of his hometown in the end and it's just this really amazing character development that's necessary for any any story that focuses on the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, character development is really important. Not just having like a solid character, they have to also kind of change because then they that make because people change, and that's how you make a character feel real is having them develop throughout the game. If they just kind of stayed regular, like yeah, you might like them in the beginning, but then they'll kind of get stale, and then they'll just feel very awkwardly out of place if everyone else is changing around them but they aren't mm -hmm. the story that would have to be a part of like a specific plot point maybe but in just a natural sort of progressing story that would be kind of jarring or just feeling awkward yeah so yeah character development is extremely important a little bit more on my point though actually is that when you consider mario who never really has character development in these games there's a very subtle, very, very subtle development in Thousand Year Door, because all you see, he doesn't speak, right? So all he gives is these little gestures, like he'll wave, or he'll look angry, or he'll jump to confirm stuff, like, be like, oh yeah, let's go, right? But as the game progresses, first he's a little more silly and lighthearted, but by the end of the game, he's super serious he's determined he's gonna do it and you can just tell that based on these like five different animations he does just to convey at least something right and it's just it's it's really cool how they make all these subtle little things have such an impact on mario's character 
Yeah, that's really cool that they did that so subtly. I, I didn't even really notice until he pointed it out just now. I kind of thinking, oh yeah, he did kind of seem a little more serious and angry at the end. Yeah, because he, he he's realizing the the um, the seriousness of the situation. Like in Thousand Year Door, the world is ending, right? Hmm. So he he ramps up and he realizes he's got to do this, and he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and so yeah, that that kind of leads into our next topic of a. Uh, sort of how the player's role or what the player's role can be in the story or how the gameplay affects the story so yeah. uh i'll kind of leave you to go first since we were kind of already talking about paper mario and how uh, mario's development kind of occurs and how you're playing as mario so might as well continue on that yeah so take mario he gets a letter from peach and she's like hey come here treasure hunt right this is this is still thousand year door but uh and he's like Okay, yeah, he comes along, and he realizes Peach has been kidnapped. Oh no, shocker, twist, right? But, uh, so then he just goes on this adventure, like he normally does, to save Princess Peach. But, so he has this traditional role, right? And then they completely flip that. Uh, saving Princess Peach becomes a sub-story that's tied along with this main story where you have to save the world. Like, his role completely changes and becomes this new amazing hero-esque role and i think that that's that's a really amazing way to take a character who uh sorry i'm just gathering my thoughts a little bit here but uh so you take this character who has such a traditional role in almost all of his games and you lead you lead the audience along and then suddenly you you flip it and you get them like over twice as engaged and they keep wanting to play and play and play and figure out what's exactly happening and you find out more and more about the story as you go right and i just think that a twist like that is something that needs to be implicated more in games yeah yeah games that kind of like kind of lull you into a false sense of security and what you're going to be doing is have been actually kind of on the rise lately, like uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. I don't know yeah. if you've played that, I have. but that's a famous one, or that might date this episode, but whatever. Uh, that was famous this year for just kind of being like, oh yeah, it's a lighthearted story about getting your waifus and whatnot. Nope, nope, not at all. Yeah, uh, It's very solid uh, turn of events, and it kind of makes the player's role in the game a bit more impactful. So, yeah. if, I like uh... that. If any of you guys are interested, it's it's a very psychological game, so play at your own risk, but I definitely recommend it. You can get it done in like two, two and a half hours. Yeah, if somehow you haven't played it yet, because that was everywhere for for a while this year. Yeah. And it's completely free. Just look it up on, oh, yeah, on Google. On There's Steam. an official website. It's all safe. Don't worry. No viruses. Yeah, all is good with it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm going to kind of talk about uh, how I really like the player's role in uh, in Majora's Mask is pretty interesting because the player actually sort of takes play it takes part in the story even though the story is just there to give you context for your actions and yes of course being the main character you're going to be playing a part in the story but more than just it's oh you're the hero go and save them no 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 you're actively do you can choose to do the side quests that are there and that have actual stories and give the town some life that you're in and then you have to, well, you will most likely have to at some point, uh, turn back the clock and basically undo everything you've just done. And so that sort of 
having to undo everything that you've done is a really cool way to kind of give the story some depth as well as make it feel like your actions both matter and don't matter because when you actually go and do some dungeons like the every time you beat a dungeon or if you wind back the clock that's fine it's not going to undo your dungeon progress you'll still have it sort of on your checklist of yep beat that dungeon but the side quests you they will be undone. So you can go and redo them, but you won't be able to do everyone's in sort of like, the since it's a three-day period, in your sort of best timeline kind of uh, run of things, in the three days where you actually end up beating the game, you probably won't be able to do every side quest. In fact, you won't be able to because one of the side quests is three whole days. And it's really interesting because you actively help someone uh, who's been in uh, turned into a child and help him kind of reunite with uh his well he was his fiance and it's this really nice sort of sentiment of you helping someone even though it's the world's going to end immediately or you're just going to undo it immediately so it's a really cool role in the story in that sense <laughs> and as for in yakuza the you like the guy you're playing as is like this big softy like he's a big burly man who is fairly no nonsense, but he's also a very nice guy, and that's sort of reflected in the gameplay. Of you can't just hurt innocent civilians. He won't fight someone for no reason. So like a lot of people will call Yakuza like the the Japanese GTA of sort of sorts. Not not even close. It may be open world and it may be sort of a crime based game, but you don't you can't hurt civilians like you can in GTA. You can't go on a mindless murder spree just because you feel like it because that's not who the character is so that's a really cool way of br of merging sort of the gameplay of the of the just overall gameplay and the story and how the player's actions influence the story and how they sort of bounce off each other so that's really cool yeah uh, how they implemented that i also have one thing to comment on about Major majora's mask too is actually oh yeah uh link with because you collect what is it about 25 masks in the in the game I don't remember the number, but something around there, so, yeah. Something around there, yeah. And because Link has just shown up in this world, uh, he the the symbolism behind these masks is that he's anyone, or he's whoever anyone needs to be at any time. If he's going to help this person, he has a mask for it. If he's going to help that person, he has a mask for it. So he's going to be anyone, or he's going to be whatever the current person needs at that time because he's a hero, right? So his character suddenly broadens in that sense, right? Yeah, and it also kind of gives the the player a bit more of a of a feeling of you're genuinely helping these people, and it kind of allows the the, the player to insert themselves more onto onto Link as a character, as they are helping these people, and they're choosing to modify themselves to help these people in order to give them what they need whether it be just someone to comfort them in their uh, in the end of the world or to do something for them or just simply someone uh who can just go and help them with a task it's mm -hmm. really cool in that sense and how it affects the the story yeah all right so uh let's kind of that that kind of actually ties in nicely with uh our discussion of uh is gameplay uh or story more important or yeah which one is more important and it there is no clear-cut answer to this it is very much uh it depends on the game like uh like we said uh for games like just your standard uh mario platformer it's 
you don't care that the story isn't that great because the gameplay makes up for it and it's not trying to be this epic story it's trying to just be a fun game while let's say a game like like Yakuza it is trying to be an epic story it's trying to be something a bit more engaging with its characters and its setting and its well it's drama so the story for that kind of a game is more important while the gameplay can be okay but this as long as the story is really good and it's it's sort it's a really case by case basis like uh if you want to talk a bit more about how it's sort of intertwined with uh, the games you really like you go ahead yeah exactly although That's there is one say. i think there's one style of story we haven't quite covered yet and i'm just going to oh. give a quick little blurb about it just so we get it out there but uh i've been playing a lot of the South Park games right now, they are they are highly oh. rated. Don't recommend it for oh, yeah. reviews. But it's more of a... The story is driving the game, but so is the gameplay. And they're very mm -hmm. they're very simple stories because you are playing as children, right? But uh, it, it's sort of like they, they take... The, the story can take a backseat for a little bit while you go run around and do some side quests and you hear some silly, inappropriate jokes all the time. But then there's also an, uh, the main story, right? Like, actually, a lot of games do this, is where they have a, an ongoing campaign. Look at, like, some of the Elder Scroll games, right? They have a main campaign, but then there's also the story. I can take a backseat for the tone and the gameplay and just being able to play. Right, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that, that's kind of just a staple of RPGs in general, or, yeah. yeah, RPGs and JRPGs, is that there's this massive big story going on that you're a big part of, and that's your, well the the point of the game. But you can also go off and just grind for a bit, talk with some uh, just NPCs, or you can just go and do some side quests, which can either be their own stories uh, on their own, or they can be something that sort of enhances the the main story by giving it either more context or fleshing it out a little more. Or it could be something that adds to the characters their their own development that you may not have seen otherwise. And so side quests and sub stories kind of thing are really uh, important for a game, or at least a game in which the style is that you're main, you have a main story, but you can do other stuff in the meantime. Yeah, and something else side quests can do is give you some mindless sort of action, or say a uh, character's like, hey, I'll pay you some money if you go beat up or kill all these guys, right? Or mm -hmm. just like something that's uh, more of the reaction-based gameplay, right? So yeah. if you're if you're itching for that, then side quests can provide that too. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the times they're fit in at really um, like down points in the story where there isn't much going on, and it's just sort of the characters figuring out what they're gonna do, or they have to just get somewhere or wait for something, and so the side quests kind of add this nice little bit of filler that doesn't feel too filler e. They just kind of, or at least if they're done right. Yeah. Uh, they'll just kind of make it feel like, oh, okay, I'm just going to help this person out because I've got a bit of time, or I'm going to go and uh, investigate this since I've got a bit of time. And or it's a choice, this right? So filler yeah, or not exactly. filler. <laughs> if you choose to do it, it's less filler, in my opinion, at least. Mm -hmm, exactly. Like, you can either just blast straight through the main story and just kind of enjoy it for what it is, or you can choose to sort of have the use the side quests to sort of flesh out your experience a little more. Although it, some of them may feel just like fluff, just overall. Mm -hmm. And so, and a lot of the times, 
the major difference or a major difference between uh, the main story and side quests or side stories are cutscenes. A lot of the or pretty much any sort of more story driven game will be pretty heavy on cutscenes. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, like Xenoblade. For once, I'm not talking about Yakuza <laughs> in this episode. Uh, for Xenoblade, it's very cutscene heavy. It'll feel like a movie at times. And that's okay. I, I love that. I feel like, ooh, cool. I've played a bunch of the game. Now I'm rewarded with this really cool cutscene that is going to be like I'm watching a TV show of a game that I love. And it's going to give me a lot more time with the characters, seeing how they act and just how they respond to different situations and how they sort of just interact with one another. And cutscenes are very important for a good story, whether they be full-blown cinematic, long and action-packed or whatever they are it could even just be uh two characters standing in a room and you just reading some text box whatever it is they're still important and that's something that side quests often don't have or have very few of because after all they're, they're just on the side so that's why you don't really see a lot of side quests being praised for incredible stories because if they were incredible stories they would have games of their own yeah <laughs> and yeah and that kind of speaks to the importance of cutscenes in a game. So, like, what do you think about? What do you think about some some cutscenes? What are some of your favorites, uh, actually? Some of my favorite cutscenes? Yeah, I mean, like, if as long as they aren't extremely spoilery, you can just kind of touch on them. Um, actually, I'm gonna bring up a short and action-packed one from the '90s. So I think I oh. think it's okay if I give a little bit of spoilers for this one. Oh but... yeah, if the, if the game, if you haven't played something that old, eh, just whatever. Yeah. Uh, Actually, the uh, one of the final cutscenes in Yoshi's Island, uh, it's uh, when uh, Baby Bowser's growing and the, the music takes such a dark turn and you see this looming shadow of a giant Bowser in the background and you you know this is going to be intense. And it's it's all of 15 seconds and it's it's just amazing in my opinion how how you can just how the tone switches like just like 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 that and uh and the music you can feel you can just feel that everything ramped up everything's a lot more serious and then you see this giant bowser and you're like okay this is gonna be awesome and then the music kicks in and i don't know i i'm, I'm crazy about that that whole that whole battle well that that's a really good uh example of a cutscene, a short and sweet cutscene, because that's like not a long cutscene at all. Yeah, no. But it is short and impactful and it's used to punctuate the relevance of the fight in terms of how it kind of plays into the story and that it's this is the final fight. It's that's another way that cutscenes can be effectively used is to punctuate certain moments. Is yeah. sort of take the control out of a player's hand and let the game show them what it wants to show them for a bit. For example, uh, a bit in Xenoblade, uh, it'll either just at the beginning of the fight, instead of just letting you just charge into a fight and you start fighting, hooray, whatever. It will kind of have a little bit of a banter between the two uh, parties fighting or just kind of start the fight in the cutscene, like they'll start fighting, so that the fight feels more action-packed and impactful to the player. So that's another really important part of using a cutscene effectively in a story, is to just really use it to enhance that part of the story. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty important. And something I want to touch base on with cutscenes before we move on to any other topics is... Um, 
how the developers go about the cutscene, uh, mechanically, I guess speaking. So when uh, sometimes when games will use the actual game engine uh, to uh, play cutscenes, uh, at least they're, they're getting better now, but like what, three or four years ago, like even as early as that, some games just couldn't, they, they, they detached you from the story because of this. Like if you look at, I can't remember which Arkham game it was, but one of them, or maybe even multiple, they would do these cutscenes where it would be a close-up of Batman, and uh, it would just be his lips moving, and then it would flip to an NPC, and their lips would be moving, and that would really be it. And it totally detaches you from the story while it's trying to give you this dialogue and drive the story, and it just doesn't work. It's getting better nowadays because they, they're using more camera angles and, and uh, gestures and faces and all that are getting a lot better, but back three, four years ago, it was so much better when they would just have a pre-rendered cutscene where they could yeah. show all these camera angles and stuff that they're doing now in-game. Yeah, pre-rendered cutscenes are something that... They're, they're kind of a treat nowadays because mm -hmm. you see more of just in-game stuff because the technology is getting better and there's less of a disconnect uh, in the in-game cutscenes as opposed to pre-rendered. -pre For example... I can't even tell when there's a pre-rendered cutscene or a an in-game cutscene in uh, some of the Yakuza games. Like the in the remakes, I I can barely tell. I gotta look for that. Yeah. But in a uh, in a few older games, like uh, the original Xenoblade Chronicles came out in 2012 or 2011, somewhere around there. I can tell when it's pre-rendered. <laughs> Yeah. Or when it's in-game. It's it used mostly in-game. There were not a ton of pre-rendered cutscenes. Um, but you could still tell. Right. And the same kind of goes for uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. There are some pre-rendered cutscenes that look beautiful. But you can tell when it's, when it's in-game. But it's not that bad. It's getting a lot better, which is nice. Yeah, especially when you consider things like when you're in game and there's a character talking if you zoom in on their face you can see clearly what they're saying like if there was no sound and you could read lips you'd be like you'd know what they're saying and it's getting a lot lot better and that's how you know that like a lot of these in-game cutscenes are in-game cutscenes because yeah they're they're focusing on the little details like that and uh i want to kind of uh touch on that point you mentioned like where if you could if you had no sound you could read lips like some games have it where there's that level of detail in the lip movements i really like that um like th yeah that's coming becoming more common nowadays but interesting enough uh, a game as old as la noir was one of the earliest ones or at least that i've played uh that did that yeah. and it used really like at the time really state-of-the-art technology to uh, affect the the characters and how they look, how they uh, how their mouth moves and how their facial expressions move, because that was an integral part of the gameplay, and it really enhanced the story. It made them feel like people. It wasn't just like flapping lips, bap bap bap. No, it was yeah. you were talking to people that have faces that have movement to them. They were dynamic. It wasn't just I can talk. Yes, hello. I'm an NPC. It was there were people. Here, people. So that level, even that level of detail, can really enhance a story. It's it's about the little details that can really skyrocket a story from like mediocre or just okay to really incredible. Yeah, and even with La Noire, you can you can obviously tell between the in-game cutscenes and the pre-rendered, but the in-game cutscenes are there on purpose. So if you look at a character, chances are you're interrogating them or you're asking them questions, right? Mm -hmm. 
and that's the whole idea. But then a pre-rendered cutscene is where you and your partner are hopping in a car and driving off, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it just it works so well, and they do it so seamlessly. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that uh, I guess now we're going to talk a bit more about La Noir uh, is <laughs> that the the the, the in-game cutscenes kind of tell you that you're going to be playing in this cutscene like it makes you a part of the cutscene the player yeah. a part of the cutscene it isn't just now i'm going to sit back and watch these characters do their thing and that there's nothing wrong with that it's just that for the type of story and the type of game that la noir is it's really cool how the player is also brought in to act in the cutscenes in a sort of way so that's really cool yeah yeah, Eleanor is actually an amazing game. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll do an episode on that. Every anything's yeah. possible. <laughs> and yeah, no, there's lots of games that probably deserve their own episode. Yeah. Oh yeah, plenty. We we will mm -hmm. not run out of material any time. <laughs> yeah. Ever. Exactly. These episodes will be infinite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, another thing about Eleanor, so while we're on this tangent, is that I really liked how the story did the ending. Now, I'm not going to spoil the ending in case some people haven't played it, but it does it, it's, instead of this, like, serious, like, investigative tone, it's actually a lot more somber. It does a really, yeah. it does an interesting tonal shift in its ending, and I really like it. It leaves the door open, kind of, for another game. They could just, I'm not gonna say how, because then that might spoil it, but yeah. it nicely wraps it up, but it can become more if they want to do more. I doubt they will. I can hope, but it's the ending is really good on its own, or if they do another. And having a good ending is extremely important for a story. Yeah. Yeah, like you have to you have to feel a sense of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Uh if if we go back to uh Detroit Become Human actually, I'm not I'm I'm not gonna spoil anything because that game is like brand new this year. But uh I, I actually just got it for Christmas and I played through, but this is a game with multiple endings. So, and based on how the game works is you can, you can save and lose characters throughout. And when in my game, in my playthrough, I did end up losing a character and, uh, and I ended up getting, uh, what I think to be a pretty, pretty good ending. Uh, but there's still that sense of, I could have saved that one character or what would have happened if I lost more characters and multiple endings is actually a way to get people reinvested and play the game again. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, multiple endings are, are a really powerful tool if used correctly. So many games will just use it as a bit of a cop-out to make it be like, oh, what if something else happened? When really it kind of doesn't matter at all. Mass Effect 3. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Mass Effect 3 was what color laser do you want? Let's be real, uh, but but with games with that use them correctly, it kind of, especially with a game that has so much choice like become, uh, Dr Detroit Become Human, it uses the the multiple endings just that the just that the player knows that there are multiple endings will make them not only want to go back and replay, which replay value is really in, in an important part of a game, but it also makes them in a way care more about these characters you're like okay i didn't get as good of an ending as i wanted i want the i either just want to see the what the ending is or i want these characters to be better off and so i'm going to get them to that good ending so if a, if multiple endings are used correctly they can be something really special and another game that really does this well and just to kind of illustrate the point is uh, undertale it's multiple endings 
completely changed the game. You play it completely differently. It's the same game, but you play it is basically it feels like a different game depending on which ending you're going for. Whether it's the genocide run, uh, the neutral ending, or the pacifist ending, the game will feel different for each ending, and that is really cool. Regardless of how you feel about the characters, the way that the the story's endings affects the gameplay so drastically is so clever. It is really interesting. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I haven't actually played Undertale, but I do know that it, it incorporates these things such like, especially with, say, emotions. Sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah, no, so uh, it incorporates emotions. Like, if you're going on a genocide run, characters are going to be mad at you, and that's going to impact the gameplay heavily. But if you're playing a more pacifist run, people are going to be a little bit happier with you. Or if you play a neutral run, they're going to be normal, right? Like. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the interesting thing is uh, about the the newer, or the sequel, kind of, that the creator of Undertale is doing, uh, Deltarune. He, it, the theme is kind of, or it seems to be, that there is no choice. There isn't multiple endings. It's basically you're along for the ride with the illusion of choice. And that's also a really cool contrast because it goes from every single choice matters to none of them matter, but the stories are still going to be very impactful, or at least that's how it seems like it's going to be for Deltarune. At the time of this recording, only one episode is out, so who knows? Um, yeah. Have you played Deltarune? No, I haven't. Ah, you, you should do that. You should you should play Undertale Maybe. and Deltarune. As much as the communities uh, are kind of um, annoying, to say the least, and that the games get a lot of flack for just kind of the communities themselves, they're still really good games with really good stories, so I highly recommend you go and play those. Uh, yeah, sure. And to those I, I just got into too. that style of game with Earthbound, so... Oh, well, there and, you and go. And I'm, I'm enjoying it, definitely. Yeah, Earthbound's can't, I can't one. help but miss that, that Mario or Paper Mario style combat, though. Yeah, yeah. With some light quick time events thrown in there, but but they're still pretty good. I enjoy I enjoy the RPG style like that. Yeah, Earthbound's another one with a really good uh, story. Uh, I don't know how far you are in it, so I'm not really gonna say anything. Uh, uh, but it I think is I'm in very good. Three right now. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm not very far. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're still like well in the first half. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you're gonna like that one. And anyone out there who yeah. hasn't played Earthbound uh, or or even Mother Three, it, but even though Mother Three isn't here legally, don't worry about it. It's really. It's a really good series. I highly recommend it. If you can kind of get back, get past the sort of stale feel, or it feels stale nowadays, the combat system, but the story makes it worth it. The story is very well worth it. So I yeah. highly recommend yeah. that. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far and say the combat is stale. Well, I mean, it's not a, as flashy. You have a lot of options. It's not as flashy, yeah. That's sort of. But way. like, but like some of the psi moves, like the first uh, psi move that Ness gets in Earthbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that that's a very cool animation, the the gaming alpha. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the combat system is fun. It's just not as flashy as like, uh, like yeah, pretty much no every animations. other RPG on the market. So, if you can get past that, it's a fantastic game with a fantastic story. And on the yeah. topic of uh, endings, which is what we're talking about, it has a nice and satisfying ending, which is important for a game. A satisfying mm-hmm. ending can really make or break a game, like. Uh, sort of stepping away from games for a second, like I know uh, a lot of horror movies are criticized nowadays for just having no ending, kind of. They're just like, oh, yeah. it can't be bad if it's uh, left open to interpretation. Actually, that's kind of how it is with a lot of games nowadays, too, 
is that yeah. they leave the ending open the ending open to interpretation and people just kind of either people really embrace that or it's kind of seen as a cop-out and i kind of see it a bit more as a cop-out nowadays for you don't think you can write a good enough ending so here's just nothing that's it has to be done right you need a sense of conclusion if you're going to leave it open for interpretation like you have to have some sort of symbolism like what did these actions truly mean for the outcome after this story has concluded mm-hmm. right you can't just leave it open to interpretation like oh is there going to be a sequel yeah have it like that right yeah a lot of the like there's nothing wrong with leaving a game story open for more like i said uh with um actually i don't know if i said this with yakuza but each game kind of nicely ties it up or actually i did say this but whatever each game nicely ties up its own individual story but leaves it open for more and that's that there's nothing wrong with that but i mean games that just don't end kind of thing like a game that has a bit of a confusing ending that is open to interpretation but the game is ended is a game like actually pretty much any uh danganronpa game i don't think you've played it but uh but i know that uh, anyone who's played those games will know that each game had a very the games ended and they felt the the endings were pretty satisfying and but the endings thems- uh, themselves were very confusing and left open to interpretation. But that's that kind of style of ending done right, is where yeah. you have fans like, oh, theorizing, oh, what happened to these characters? Were- was this character telling the truth? What actually happened? Instead of just, what? What? What happened? Uh, okay. Yeah, actually, that I, kind of I just watched um, a YouTuber, Nitro Red. He did an episode on a game called Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this this is an old enough game. It was on like GameCube and Xbox and PS2, so I think I can talk about the ending. But basically, what happened was there's a there's a prince who turned into a mummy, and you have to slowly return his soul throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And you get all the way up to the last piece of his soul, and he just kind of stumbles and destroys the jar it was holding, and his soul's gone. And then another <laughs> character's like, "Yo, there's another way. We'll turn you back to human." And they totally leave it open for a second game, but the second game never happened. Aww. And it was so stupid because like. Why didn't he just turn back into a prince? Like, you can turn him back into a mummy in the next game, right? Yeah. If there was going to be one. Yeah, that's a so, shame. Wasted potential is always a real bummer for anything, yeah. really. Um, but yeah. So with that, uh, we're kind of reaching well over our time, but whatever. Yeah. I think this was nice. I think this was a good discussion on the stories of games and how yeah. different aspects of them can play into it and how important they can be to enhancing a game and their their role in the their respective games. So uh, on that, is there anything else you wanted to, to mention? Uh, no, no. All right. I think we're okay. I'm a just lot gonna... of the stuff that I have in my head can definitely be placed in other episodes, so we don't need to stretch this one. All right. I'm just going to real quick say, go play Yakuza. It's really good. The story's so, so good. Start with Yakuza 0, though. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. Also, Thousand Year Door. Yeah, go if play that, too. It, you're crazy. Uh, especially if you're a fan of story-based games. So yeah and if you aren't why are you listening to this episode (laughs) anyway (laughs) uh thank you so much for listening and just remember that whatever we say in these episodes is just our opinions we're not some objective um video game gods who know everything this is just a couple of guys (laughs) saying what we think about games so just keep that in mind and yeah Yeah, exactly thank you again so much for listening uh to us just kind of ramble about games uh, uh, well, I've been Adam. And I'm Jaden. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.